Sand, surfing, and sunshine. La Jolla, California might seem like the perfect town, but there's a darkness creeping just below the water's surface that we're exploring today in our script Locals Only, so don't move a muscle. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. You guys know this song? <laughs> there is no other option for an opener besides this song. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Unproduced Table Read. You're hearing California by Phantom Planet because we're reading a very, very well-written California set team drama that kind of channels Shades of the OC, but it's totally its own thing, so I can't wait to dive into it. Um, for those of you just tuning in for the first time, this is a show called The Unproduced Table Read. Um, it's a show where we read some of Hollywood's hottest unproduced pilots and features in an attempt to get them made and get the work heard. So um, Today we're reading a really, really well-written teen drama called Locals Only. Um, by amazing writer Daniel Hogan that we'll dive more into when we get into the show. But until then, my name is Jeff Graham. You guys can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey C. Graham. And I'd love for the rest of my cast to introduce both themselves, where they can find you online, and who you'll be playing today in the show. Hey, guys. I'm Lindsay Wegner. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Wegner. Today I'm playing Becca, Abby, Snyder, and Mick. And Lindsay, we're so happy to have you. This is your first show with us on hey, UTR. Hey, so thanks for being yeah, here. We appreciate it. I'm to be here. I'm a little yeah. bit nervous. You'll be great. We're going to fire the other two. <laughs> yeah, they're out. <laughs> they're going to kill you, girl. <laughs> All right, Michael. Hi, right, guys. Uh, I'm Mike Kalinowski. You can find me at Mike Kalinowski. Uh, I am playing Joel, Dane, Foster, Mr. Brown, Ace, Chandler, Gennaro Senor, and Senor Lopez. Keeping you busy. Hey, <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Timothy Michael. You can reach me on all social media platforms at I am Timothy Mike. And I am playing Gennaro and Scott. Hey everybody, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew Guy. And today I'll be Curran and Carlos. I am Lex Michael. I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. And today I am playing Zero, Greg, and Miguel. Hi, I'm Adrian Snow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. And I'm playing Hannah, Lindsay, Kelly, Laura, and Angie. Well, thank you so much, guys. Um, as I mentioned at the top, the script reading today is called Locals Only. It's by Daniel Hogan, and it's kind of our first high school-driven narrative. Mm -hmm. um, but I chose this script because it really breaks a lot of the conventions and cliches that I think make a lot of teen soaps really bad. Because <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is actually absolutely. a really, really, really good script. Um, so, Dan, if you would, I'd love for you yeah. to talk for a minute or two just about the world we're going to enter in today's um, read. Um, we're entering the world of La Jolla, California. It uh, literally translates to the jewel, and that's kind of what it's known for as being this very sort of uh, upper-class neighborhood within San Diego um, with just beautiful beaches and beautiful people. But underneath it, um, you might find originally written about with Tom Wolfe and the Pump House Gang is this mm. very uh, local gritty, dirty surf scene uh, within this break called Wind and Sea and it creates this sort of unique dynamic between you know, uh, a little bit seedy underworld right pushed up against a very sort of upstanding uh, citizenship that grinds against each other a lot mm -hmm. and then most fascinating to me uh, growing up in San Diego was also the fact that within the city school district it's um, a place where there's still a um, you get a lot of like intermixing and intermingling of different neighborhoods uh, so you have a lot of different ethnicities at all the different high schools mm -hmm. and on one hand it is wonderful for having young people come up in diverse environments but on the other hand you get to see firsthand sort of like the friction that that can cause when people even within like a high school environment start self-isolating mm -hmm. themselves based off class and race and mm -hmm. how that uh 
balls up against each other. Yeah, well, that's yeah. A, what I think makes this script so special, yeah. and it kind of feels like a microcosm for just the California experience, yes. which I think is yeah. so cool. So we're going to do it more. We'll dig into some of the themes and everything when we get into our Q&A. But until then, I'm so excited, guys. We're reading Locals Only by Dan Hogan, whom we have here in studio. And this is the pilot of the show. Teaser. <clears throat> Exterior Wind and Sea Beach, La Jolla night. Water smooth as glass. A full moon beams down on the sea like an extraterrestrial flashlight, illuminating a picture-perfect A-frame wave. Two surfers split the peak, surfing the moving wall of water as it peels in either direction towards the iconic palm tree-strewn shack on the beach. Welcome to Windensee, the famed epicenter of La Jolla surf culture, a break with enough history to fill a textbook. Looking to the shore... La Jolla, the jewel of San Diego, stares back down upon the water, a rising mountain of million-dollar mansions. It would be a serene sight if it weren't for the, ho the hoots and hollers coming from above the loud party blaring from the mansion directly across the street, where a group of teenagers head through the front door. Interior Wind and Sea Mansion night, a full-blown high school rager underway. Two kids raise their friend upside down for a keg stand. A DJ spins a hedonistic dance floor tune. Silhouettes make out in the corner. A jock pours gray goose into a young girl's mouth. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll here, baby. All wrapped in cash. The kind of party you wish existed at your high school. Interior hallway, Wind and Sea Mansion night. Two teens, red cups in hands, strut through like they own the place. On the left walks Dane Florence, 17, commanding with strong shoulders, buzzed hair, and a jarring wetsuit tan. On his side is Curran First, 17, a shaggy-haired, dirty blonde SoCal prototype. Vans, skinny jeans, and a flannel. His clothes are clearly hand-me-downs. Curran and Dane greet schoolmates left and right. They stop at a group of stoners, and the two butt, and the two guys butt their way into the conversation. What up, homies? Thank ass bud, huh? The tallest of the stoners, Scotty, 16, nods back. Bomb the fucking calm, bro. You aren't kidding about this strain. He passes a spliff to Dane, who takes a rip, holds it, exhales, and passes it to Curran, who follows suit. You know the number. Curran blows a cloud of smoke as he and Dane continue on. We've made a dozen laps already. Gotta make sure we're here to be seen. Dane holds out an arm, quieting Curran. They stop just before a cracked door. Dane sneaks up and peeks inside at a large bedroom, where Zero, 21, a washed-up surfer, tatted out and strung out, hungs with the circle, hangs with the circle of high school kids. Zero cuts lines of coke for the group in front of him. Yo, Zero, you need anything? Yeah. Close the fucking door. Dane smirks. Halfway back into the hallway when... Dane! Dane stops, rolls his eyes to Curran, opens the door back up. Since when did your scrub ass get nice and ask me if I need anything? Yeah, I need something. Come over here real quick. Dane glances behind him, sighs, and approaches Zero. When he's close enough, Zero throws Dane into a headlock, bringing Dane's head towards Zero's crotch. I need you to suck my dick, dog. Show these kitties how to do it. The kids on the floor snicker as Dane struggles. Curran hustles into the room and shoves Zero off Dane. Zero jumps to his feet, eyes lighting up like a rabid coyote as he locks sights onto Curran. Curran stumbles back in fear. Oh, look, it's thrift shop, Dane. Dane gets up and steps in between the two, puts an arm on Curran and leads him out. Zero yells back as the two exit. Go make me some money, bitch. Back in the hallway, Curran gives Dane a worried stare. Dude's a fucking psychopath. Don't bail on me now, bro. Dane holds out his fist as if to say, you got my back, right? Curran hesitates. Nods and bumps it with his own. Hell yeah. Let's fucking do this. Interior kitchen, Wind and Sea Mansion night. Two junior girls, Abby and Lindsay, 16, play beer pong against Mick, 17, platinum blonde, buzzed hair, and Joel, 21, a could-have-been pro who decided he'd rather keep crashing in his parents' mansion and living the Wind and Sea dream. 
On the table, a cup left on each side. Abby lines up her aim. Her nose ring, heavy eyeliner, and festival wristbands scream rebellious, but her body seems fragile compared to the six-foot athletic frame of Lindsay. Abby releases her shot. Game over. Dane and Curran enter just in time to see. Splash. The ball lands a direct hit into the last cup. Mick shakes his head. Booyah, bitches. Drink up. Dane throws his arms around Abby's waist and kisses her. Abby, kick your asses again. God, that's so hot. Uh, we have a job. Oh, it's me again. Yo, Dane. Mick tells me the team's got a shot at nationals this year. Uh, Curran and I got the one-two punch on lock, Coach. You got to see the clips. You got to see the clips. Curran just sent us in the surf line. Some Taylor Steele quality shit. It'll get us on the cover of Surf Mag soon enough. <laughs> Plus, K. Slade Jr. over here just got a call from the quick rep about getting us to next year's QS. Was afraid I was going to end up like Joel for a little while here. <laughs> Abby laughs at this, meeting eyes with Curran. They lock for a second too long. Unnoticed by the others, as Joel throws the ping-pong ball at Curran, zapping him back into reality. Yeah, living in a big-ass house with Wincy as your front yard would really suck for you, Curran. Best not forget about me when you fuckheads get on tour. You bros want a thing from Rejo's? We're going to go make a quick run. The usual for me. Calabrito it is. Back in a sec. Interior, Rigoberto's Night. La Jolla's 24-hour taco shop. Rigoberto's, is that right, Daniel? Mm-hmm. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, La Jolla's 24-hour taco shop. If you want to see some weird shit, just hang out here at 2 in the morning on a Saturday. Gennaro Judge Lopez, 16, still growing into his frame, stands behind the cashier's counter. Wetsuit tan on his neck. Ah, uh, three California burritos, and make sure there's a guapo hot sauce. Three cales para llevar. Gennaro yells back to Gennaro uh, Lopez Sr., 40s, manning the grill, who starts cutting carne asada on the stove. I don't like it. The carne asada? Uh, would you like to... What? No. He's, he's talking to me. Everybody loves carne asada. Now, mind your fucking business. Look, it's not stealing. <clears throat> Zero's a fucking creep. Makes freshman girls suck his dick for coke. Freshman guys, too. It rips me off huge after I do all the actual work. Dane flips through a stack of bills, even an Amex black card. He pays Gennaro, but jumps up, jumps with paranoia when Gennaro pipes up. Curran, right? Fuck, Curran. You know this guy? I've never seen him before. Uh, I, I go to your high school. We know everyone that serves from La Jolla. I've never seen you out. That's because I surf Imperial. <laughs> Word of advice, just keep that way. Here's your cash, and a little extra, just forget whatever you heard. Gennaro's eyes go wide as the hundred dollars go wide at the hundred dollars in the counter. He checks to make sure his dad isn't looking, takes the cash, and passes a bag with three burritos each the size of a grown man's forearm to Dane. <laughs> Exterior Rigoberto's parking lot night. Dane and Curran hop into Curran's shitty pickup truck. Curran flips the ignition, but the engine turns over and over and over and over, finally starting. He sighs. Interior hallway, Wind and Sea Mansion night. Abby waits in line for the bathroom as Zero walks by. Hey, little lady. Off her eye roll. You know, if you ever want to lose the hero and get with the Gross. Zero. Where'd your boy run off to, anyway? Just making a Rigo's mission. Zero furrows his brow, thinks, shrugs it off, and walks away. Exterior streets of La Jolla night. Curran drives, rocking a snapback hat to conceal himself. Dane cuts a line of coke on the screen of his iPhone and snorts it. You know, the Bible says, pay to all who what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. He preps a bump for Curran, but Curran declines the offer. Have you even read the Bible? Dane unwraps his burrito and bites into it, moans with joy. Mm, no need. French fries, carne asada, cheese, guac, and hot sauce. Now, that's the only Bible I read. These, those illegals are goddamn mad geniuses with a tortilla. San Diego, bro. <laughs> Tasty waves and California burritos. All you need in life. Almost all. 
exterior alleyway, Bird Rock Night. The pickup comes to a stop in a seedy alley on the border of La Jolla and Bird Rock. Apartment complexes line either side. Exterior shoddy apartment complex night. Dane hops out of the passenger seat and evaluates the truck. Better keep the engine running. Curran almost says something as Dane turns to go, but he doesn't. Interior shoddy apartment night. Dane creeps through the darkness. He slinks into the apartment bedroom and heads straight for the dresser. He knows exactly where he's going. He opens the second drawer under the shirts and finds stacks of cash, an ounce of coke, an O's of pot. He stuffs the coke into his pocket, glances around, grabs a pillowcase and stashes the rest into it. Enshrouded in darkness, he turns straight into the blade of a knife. Six inches of sharp steel pierces its way into his gut. Dane contorts in confusion as he stares face to face with Zero. Dane glances down, all but the hilt of Zero's knife disappearing into his own little body. You ungrateful little fuck. Zero jolts the knife out of Dane and then shanks him again, but the adrenaline finally takes over and Dane shoves Zero against the wall. Dane dives out of the bedroom, slamming the door shut behind him. He pulls down a huge bookshelf onto its side, locking Zero into his room. Exterior shoddy apartment complex night. From the truck, Curran sees a light turn on inside the place. Here's an abrasive crash. Curran leaps out of the vehicle. The back door flings open. Dane stumbles out, holding his stomach, trying to keep his guts from spilling out. Curran sprints for Dane, who loses his grip on the stack of money. He lets it go as Curran carries him to the truck. Curran jumps behind the wheel just as Zero bursts outside. Interior Curran's car, streets of La Jolla night. Curran drives like a madman down residential streets. The speedometer climbs 50, 60, 70 down the narrow roads. Curran frantically tries to steer with his left hand while holding Dane's hands firm on the stab wound with his right. Pressure, bro. Just, just hold on. Dane peers down at himself, scared, trying not trying not to be. Remembers the ounce of coke in his pocket and pulls it out. Jesus fucking Christ, my dad's gonna kill me. Curran glances over at Dane, shirt soaked, dripping, carpet at Dane's feet stained red with blood. And it's a lot of fucking blood. A beat to think. Curran snatches the coke out of Dane's lap, slides the heavy bag into his own jacket pocket. Uh, don't worry about that. You just stay awake, and we'll be out-regulating the lineup before you know it, bud. Oh, fuck. It fucking hurts, man. I, I can't believe this shit. Don't, don't let me die. Please, Curran. No way, man. Not unless it's you pulling into a second reef bomb at pipe. Dane laughs, coughs up blood as he does this, and chokes on it. Look at me, bro. Don't close your eyes. Don't fucking close your eyes. Dane tries to focus on Curran, but his eyelids narrow. Mom. The life fades from his eyes before he can finish. Dane, wake up, man. Please wake up. Exterior urgent care entrance, La Jolla night. Curran's crappy two-door hauls ass through the roundabout towards the emergency room doors, honking the horn. He skids the car to a stop, jumps out and drags Dane's body onto the pavement, screams into the atmosphere. Help me! Somebody fucking help me! Curran doesn't notice. The bag of cocaine that's fallen from his breast pocket as paramedics rush down to the sterile hallway, followed by the on-site police officer. All sprint to Curran, kneeling there, desperately trying to resuscitate his friend as blood trickles into the gutter. Fade out and teaser. Dun, dun, dun. Act 1. Exterior La Jolla Curran's House Day. A cozy one-story house blends into the neighborhood between Pearl Street and La Jolla High. Quaint, modest, and much older than the mansions that pepper the rest of La Jolla. Interior driveway. In the driveway sits the old truck Curran was driving, the hood now up and a silhouette of an old man working under it. Interior Curran's House Bedroom Day. A glare from outside brightens the otherwise dark room. A half a dozen surfboards pile in the corner. Posters of pro surfers adorning. Film negatives hang against a far wall. Camera lenses and some old school cannons rest on the desk. On the computer display on his desk, Adobe Illustrator is open. A water shot of Dane navigating a wickedly intimidating barrel being edited. Curran stands at the mirror, ashen, black suit on. He tries to figure out his skinny black tie and fails and fails again. Interior Curran's house kitchen, day. Defeated, Curran stumbles into the kitchen. 
His mom, Kelly, in her 40s, jumps up from the table sporting her scrubs, a nurse at a nearby clinic. His dad, Greg, 40s as well, in his naval officer uniform, his physicality and persona cracked and worn from decades of physical work, ignores Curran. He washes oil from his hands at the sink and grabs his coffee mug. Honey, come here. Kelly fixes Curran's tie for him. He wears the suit well. At least the suit matches the accessories. Curran lifts his pants, his pant cuffs to reveal a black ankle brace with a blinking red light. Greg stands up. Should have come labeled with an island fever guaranteed. <laughs> Joke all you want now, because you're working every dollar of that fine off as soon as you graduate. Greg, why don't we just ask... We're this? not asking Chuck. I don't need another reminder of how fortunate I am to have married my way into the neighborhood. Well, we are lucky to have... No, Curran's lucky not to be wearing my old suit and not an orange one. Community service and probation. A slap on the damn wrist for that kind of possession charge? I got our boy off without his money. Dad, I promise I'll make Shut it. Shut up. Your promises are clearly worthless. What are you going to tell the truth, huh? Why are you covering for that shit friend of yours? I didn't raise a crack. No, <clears throat> Kelly. Curran still has consequences to think about. Dane doesn't. What's your plan, anyway, huh? Become the next former future pro in the Wind and Sea parking lot with all the other wash-ups? I hope you got your wake-up call. Stop it, Greg. He's alive. If you think I'm driving you to school now that you lost your license... Whatever. I'll get used to my new form of transportation, Dad. Kern grabs his skateboard and heads for the door. Exterior Kern's house, La Jolla Day. Alone, Kern holds up his skateboard, punches the wooden deck of the board over and over until his knuckles bleed. He stops. That feeling of someone watching you, creeping over him. He He bashfully glances up at a window across the street, where his neighbor... Hannah Smith, 17, an overachieving senior who can't wait to leave this place soon enough, snaps her head away and continues getting ready for school herself. Interior bathroom, Abby's mansion, La Jolla Day. Abby stands in front of a mirror in an all-important marble, all-imported marble bathroom slash spa. She wears the same suit get-up as Curran, but with a black skirt instead of pants. Laura, 40s, Abby's Prozac parent, walks in. <laughs> Laura wears an engagement stone the size of a grape of, on her ring finger. I'm not going. Abby... Ridiculous. I can't keep feeling like this, Mom. When will it go away? Being the stellar parent she is, Laura, uneasy, rummages around in her purse. When I'm having a bad day, I stop what I'm doing, take ten deep breaths, and then I take two of these. She pulls out a sample packet of Vicodin. And I always feel better. Here. Exterior Nautilus Drive, La Jolla Dave. Curran skates in his suit toward La Jolla High School in the distance. He passes school bus after school bus, and on one of the school buses sits Gennaro, staring out the window, eyeing the long line of Mercedes, BMWs, Range Rovers, and Audis pulling into the parking lot. Exterior La Jolla High quad day. 1,500 high schoolers mill about the quad, a massive Vikings mural painted against the gym wall. More prominent than the variation of cliques in the stark segregation between the local kids and the bust-in crowds. From above, the quad looks like the pie chart of races, unseen and unspoken borders subliminally drawn between them. The Mexican kids congregate by the cafeteria, black students by the field, Filipinos along the adjacent auditorium. The La Jolla kids, jocks, nerds, surfers, stoners, goths, almost entirely white, claim the high school ground along the grassy knoll. At the cafeteria, Gennaro gazes along across the quad towards the grassy knoll, where nearly a dozen kids in black suits including Curran, stand out there from the other students' back-to-school outfits. We recognize most of them from the party, but Gennaro's vision is quickly focuses on the group of girls, specifically Becca, 16, Joel's little sister, vogue beyond her years, oozing sex appeal, and she knows it. 
He's jolted, he's jolted out of his daze as Miguel, 16, next to Gennaro, punches him. Angie, 16, hangs out with them. She wears a La Jolla High, a La Jolla High School soccer jersey. Hombre, I see you dreaming about those little sugar mommies out there. Why don't you just go over there and ask her to sit on your face? Oh, that's how you get all your ladies? <laughs> hey, honeys love a little face squad. Makes them feel <laughs> in charge. Oh, listen to Miguel if you want to have a pia version for the rest of your life. Angie playfully pushes the two boys as she walks off. You know Angie's begging for some of that Rigoberto special sauce. I told you I don't want Angie. Judge, why do you think they ship all us cholos up here to remind us that we'll be making the hour-long drive on some bus till we die just to clean up some mommy bitch's floors and cook her tacos? And not her fish taco neither, nummy. <laughs> nah, I'm never working for these people. What, because you serve? All they see is brown and a 619 area code. Over the loudspeakers, an administrative voice chimes in, filtered. Students... As many of you have heard, we start our new year on a deeply somber note, with one of our own recently passing away far too soon. Please join us in the stadium as we mourn the loss of fellow Viking, honor student, and surf team captain, Dane Florence. You think he crashed a Beamer? Or OD'd on some coke? I bet on the OD. Gennaro bites his lip, awkwardly quiet. Couple thousand Mexicans get killed, so them daddy's little princesses get their nose candy without a care. One white kid dies and we throw a ceremony. Morocco. Exterior La Jolla High Stadium Day. The bleachers are packed with the entire student population. On the field below, the administrative staff, Principal Smith, 50s, and Dane's parents, Foster and Sherry, 50s, sit in succession. In the row of suited students, we recognize Curran, Mick, Abby, and Lindsay in the mix. Abby's eyes are red. She leans onto Curran's shoulder. Look at this. This isn't what Dane would have wanted. We shouldn't be mourning his death. We should be celebrating his life. Straight up. He'd call his own wake a buzzkill and ditch it to go shred some, wind, shred some wind in. I bet he'd want us to cut lines with his ashes and get racked off him. I wonder what the Dane Florence high is like. You thinking what I'm thinking? What? Railed his ashes? I was joking. No, I mean honoring him properly. Oh. I mean, I was thinking that too. Abby gives a little, let's get out of here nod, down the row, and all dozen suits get it and stand up as the voices drone below. We can barely make out a sentence of Dane's dad's speech, but it's full of indictment. Wednesday was Dane's Never Never Land. Dane's dad takes notice of the disturbance as the suits run up from the stairs towards the street, um, almost speaking to them. A playground for those who refuse to grow up. Exterior Wind and Sea parking lot day. The suits, stand, the suits stand around in the tiny lot overlooking the waves, a stack of surfboards at their feet. They all inhale cigarettes, cool, looking like a bleach-haired group of reservoir dogs. <laughs> An Audi hatchback pulls up with Joel at the helm and Curran in the passenger seat. He hops out, pulls out a couple of surfboards from the back, and holds up one in particular. You found it. I'd recognize that dumpster diver from anywhere. They would never shut the fuck about it but that damn board. What the fuck? Joel grabs Becca's cigarette out of her mouth. Those will kill you, sis. Joel takes the cig and offers it to Curran, who declines. I quit. The kids pack up their surfboards and walk down the steps. Cut to exterior wind and sea waves, La Jolla Day. The group of friends, still in their black suits and ties, paddle out through the surf, garnering stares from the rest of the surfers in the water. Dane's old surfboard sits perpendicular on the nose of Curran's as he leads the pack far past the breakers. A hundred yards past the waves. The group circles around. Curran flips Dane's board over, pulls out a waterproof marker, writes R.I.P. Dane Florence in huge letters across the board like it was a tombstone. He then writes a note aside it. You'll always be my best friend. Curran fights a tear and passes the pen to Abby. She starts writing her own note on the board, and as she, as she writes, something magical happens. Curran looks up to see 
the entire Wind and Sea lineup paddling towards them, arriving in groups of twos and threes, all coming to pay tribute. The circle transforms from a dozen to fifty surfers. As the suits finish their notes on the board, they join hands with the rest of the circle. Curran secures weights around the leash of Dane's board, puts his head against the fiberglass one last time, and lets go. It sinks, slowly but surely, towards its watery grave. Curran lifts a handful of water into the air with both arms. To Dane. To Dane. The circle all throw their water into the air like a human fountain. Time lapse as the surfers in the suits paddle back toward the break. The memorial circle shrinking and shrinking. The suits catch waves in. They line up, and it turns into a bizarre sight as a dozen kids in black suits and black ties tear a series of approaching waves to shreds. They're all good, and they all head into the beach until finally, it's just Curran left, alone, far past the waves, staring through the water into the deep abyss below. Interior Rigoberto's day. Gennaro walks in, stoked as hell, a fat <clears throat> grin across his face. His older brother, Carlos, 20, works at the register, shorter and fuller than Gennaro, baseball cap over his buzzed head. What are you so cheery about? Sorry, guys. Page. Dane's dad takes notice of the suits running up the stairs. Nope. Gennaro <laughs> holds up a warm and aged shortbread under his arm, the once white epoxy faded into a dirty brown. Three paychecks for that? Thought you had some boards back home. Snap them on the last Northwest. Plus, when was the last time anyone got noticed surfing Imperial? Don't let that see you with that. Exterior Wind and Sea Beach, La Jolla Day. Curran, still in his suit, hasn't left the water yet. So much for the first day of school. A set wave approaches. Curran paddles for it, calling off two other surfers down the line. Curran takes off, and you don't have to know much about surfing to recognize two things from this kid on a wave. He's good. Faster, smoother, and better than anyone else in the water. And he's fucking raw. Power in every turn, unleashing all of his rage and sorrow and regret into the ocean. As he kicks out the wave and paddles back to the lineup, another wave approaches, and as Curran gets ready to go right on the peak, he spots Gennaro on his new used surfboard, paddling for it too. Curran paddles in like he's going right, leaving the left open, and Gennaro takes it as an invitation to go. But as Curran takes off, he capriciously changes his mind. Maybe he wants a confrontation, all that built-up anger. So he bottom turns left, causing Gennaro to drop in on it. Hey, yo! But this is Gennaro's chance to impress. He pumps down the line like lightning, separating just enough from Curran to launch off the section with it with a huge air reverse and lands it, clean, proud, right in front of Curran, who crashes into Gennaro. They go down, surface, side by side. Hey, Rigoberto, I don't know how they teach you to cross the street down south, but this isn't a Tijuana alley. It's the highway, so you better look both ways. Gennaro backs away, embarrassed. Plan to impress backfired. Sorry, I thought you were going left. Curran stops belittling, now feeling like a total dick. Just... Just watch out, man. Curran takes the oncoming wall of white water into the beach, calling it a day. As he gets to the sand, Curran glances back at Gennaro. Damn, that kid's got some serious potential. At the top of the stairs, Curran spots Ace Chandler, 30s, industry rep for Quicksilver. Corporate. Shops out of Esquire, but calls himself a surfer. Hey, kid. I'm sorry about Dane. I want to come down and pay my respects. Did I miss this ceremony? Uh, yeah, you missed it. Uh, he's a hell of a surfer. Yeah, he was. <clears throat> Hey, I was actually meaning to call you to talk to you about that sponsorship. Try a couple events, make some videos, you but know. But Curran get... is interrupted as a, as a Ferrari screeches to a halt. Dane's dad, Foster, steps out and instantly butts in between Curran and Ace. Black Gucci shoes contrasted in the sand. Uh, Mr. Florence, uh, I'm sorry I left the ceremony earlier. We were having our... Nah, I don't give a shit about you leaving. I give a shit about... I, I give a shit about you're out here surfing when my son is dead. I give a shit that a drug dealer that murdered him gets off scot-free with self-defense, and the punk who killed Dane into getting killed, or talked Dane into getting killed, gets off with nothing but a possession charge. I give a shit that justice gave the middle finger to my son. 
I better take off, kid. Ace, no, wait. We... Ace heads up the stairs, but Foster blocks Curran's path. I don't care what kind of strings your dad pulled with his old naval buddies, SDPAD. I'm not letting you get out of this until you're behind bars. Foster's scorning garners the attention of the older locals chilling in the lot. Ace glances back and shakes his head. Please, Foster, I don't... Admit it. Admit it was your idea. Admit you're dealing with that fucker. Dane didn't need any money. Curran tries to pass Foster, but Foster blocks him once again. Dane got everything he wanted. Say something, you little shit. Foster shoves Curran. Curran steps up and throws his board down. Say something? How about this? You have no idea who your son was. He hated you. He fucking hated your guts, and maybe if you treated him like a human being, he'd be alive. Instead of having to prove to you how much of a man he was by playing gangster. So get lost, old man. Foster takes a full swing at Curran. Fist connects with jaw, and Curran stumbles back, nearly falls. The group of locals in the lot get off, on the, get off their asses, ready to tear Foster apart. Dane's dad backs away. They put together businessmen, stares at... The put-together businessman stares at his hands, shocked at himself, and he hurries off for his car. Interior of Curran's house, Curran's bedroom night. Curran sits at his desk, patting a frozen bag of peas against his now-bruised face. He stares at his computer screen. A rough, still-being-edited cut of a surf clip featuring Dane dances in front of Curran's eyes. Curran pauses on a frame, a shot of Dane and his mother. Curran reaches for a piece of black paper, lodged under an underwater camera casing, grabs a pen and starts writing, Dear Sherry Florence... But that's all Curran can muster. Unsure of what he could possibly say, he crumples it up and he throws it in the trash. Exterior La Jolla High Cafeteria Day. Empty until the lunch bell rings and a stampede of hungry students pour out of every room. Miguel and Gennaro hustle ahead of the crowds and get into the front of the line. Straight up, your life is about to change forever. Watch and learn. They reach the cafeteria order window. Can I get a bag of hot Cheetos? He pauses dramatically, looks to Gennaro. Wait for it. With nacho cheese. The lunch lady pours a ladle of nacho cheese into the open bag of hot Cheetos and sticks a spork in it. They turn to go. Shit is revolutionary. When word gets out, it's going to be anarchy. <laughs> Shit, we better start calling you Thomas Evisano. <laughs> but yo, I got to bounce for this meeting. Judge, did you not hear me? Nacho cheese. Hot Cheetos. Spork. Next time, Miguel. <laughs> What's gotten into you, huh? Sorry, I, I care about things bigger than hot Cheetos with nacho cheese. You know what? Go. You're fitting in with those douchebags already. Interior La Jolla High Classroom Day. The La Jolla High surf team congregates in an otherwise empty classroom, mostly the same group who are in the suits. <coughs> At the front, Curran, Becca, Lindsay, Mick, and two stoner bros, Bruce and Charlie. Towards the back and a few towards the back are a few towhead freshmen and sophomore surfers. Curran stands up and addresses. Lindsay, you seen Abby? It's been here since Monday. All right, uh, let's get started. Never thought I'd be so unstoked to inherit cat. <clears throat> Never thought I'd be this unstoked to inherit captain of this team. But we got a contest in two weeks, and we have a roster spot to fill. Mick, you were first alternate last year. Looks like it's time to shine, buddy. But school charter says we got to hold an open tryout, so here we are. But Curran's interrupted by the door as Gennaro enters, greeted by stairs. Gennaro freezes up, awkward. Uh, hey, what up, Rose? I think you've got the wrong room here. We don't give lessons, bro. I'm here to try out for the, the spot. The spot's already been filled. The, the announcement said open tryouts. See all those freshies in the back? They live here, and they know their place. That's why you don't hear them complaining about paying their dues and waiting for a spot to open. Let me translate this clearly for you. I guess what I'm trying to say is the team is locals only. The awkward Gennaro bites his lip, but then sacks up for once. <laughs> Whatever, Kook. So one of the tryouts? Kook? Mick- Mick stands up, heated, flaring his chest out. Kook? 
Do I look like a coop to you, you goddamn beaner? A little bit, now that you ask. Gennaro doesn't back down. Bruce jumps up, beside Mick. Should I get you both rulers so you can measure your dicks for us, too? Mick, back off. Gennaro, what was it? My friends call me Judge. Well, I'm not your friend. Friday after 6 period, 3.30 p.m. Kern, this is fucking bullshit. Gennaro keeps his eyes locked with Mick. Cool. See you guys then. Interior La Jolla High, Mr. Brown's class day. Kern blends in with the rest of the 30-person class as Mr. Brown, 40s, a science teacher with an imposing build from years of surfing, administers a pop quiz. Dead silence. Kern stares down at the chemical equations <coughs> on the quiz. Totally lost, so he draws so he draws perfect waves on the quiz instead. <laughs> Hannah jumps out of her seat, first one finished. Kern observes her as she walks to turn it in. Intrigued. Everyone pauses as a knock comes on the door. Officer Taylor, 40s, the school police officer, enters. Another police officer, Detective Snyder, 50s, lean, hints of gray blending into his buzzed hair, follows Taylor. Officer Taylor whispers to Mr. Brown, who glances up and nods. Kern. What? Would you like to come with us, please? Uh, but I'm, I'm taking a test. Kern, go. Kern can feel the murmurs and gawks. He grabs his test. As he scoots around desks into the main aisle, he brushes past Hannah as she enters the other way. They lock eyes. Sympathy in hers. And Kern exits with the officers. End of Act 1. Act 2. Interior La Jolla High Administrative Office Day. Kern sits at a table across from Detective Snyder. Nervous. Sorry to take up your class time. Am I uh, under arrest? Because I already received my sentence. Just want to ask you a few questions. Okay, but I gave you my statement. Look, if it were up to me, we could leave this at your possession charge. You could do your community service, and that would be that. But you pissed off the wrong people with a lot of influence around here, and they don't want to let this go. Foster? And to be honest, kid, now that I look into it, things don't add up. Now, you said Dane contacted you, at which time you left Rigoberto's and found him on the lawn. Curran nods his head. Uneasy. Queasy. And the cocaine we found on you wasn't from set the said house. And you were alone at Rigoberto's. Yeah, well, I mean, I was... But witnesses I, say you left the party to go there with Dane. Uh, well, yeah, but then we, we... So it was with him or alone? I w I want my dad here. As is your right. Let's call him. Interior La Jolla High administrative offices later. Greg enters into the room with Kern and Snyder. Notices Kern's black eye for the first time. Were you in a fight? What? Dad, no, I would... Kern wanted you here while I asked him some questions. I thought he already talked to you. With all due respect, Mr. Florence, uh, Mr. Florence released Dane's phone records to us. There's not one text or call sent from his number to Kern's that night. Perjury is a felony. Would be the least of your worries if it got paired with accessory to breaking and entering that resulted in a death. That's first-degree manslaughter in the wrong court. Then why the hell don't you go after the real killer? I'd like nothing more. But we found no incriminating evidence on the scene. Just the medical marijuana Zero legally owned that he claims Dane tried to steal. And according to Penal Code 459, he is entitled to defend himself in a burglary. Such fucking bullshit. You think I like this? I want the big fish. You know I offered your son the chance to help me by testifying against Zero, by telling me where the cocaine came yeah, from. And I wonder why he wouldn't do that after what he saw, huh? Right. So then I have to do my job. Now, you said Dane called you. Yeah, from his second phone. He had another phone. Dane watched too much of The Wire, but it wasn't a text, it was a call. Greg is petrified that his son's about to be caught in a lie. Current, this time really shut up. But I'm trying to explain that so I... My boy is not under arrest? No, not this time. Well, then please get an arrest warrant or leave my son alone. Thank you for your time. We'll let you know if we have more questions. Exterior La Jolla High, Administrative Offices Day. Mr. Brown waits for Curran and his dad as they walk out. John, 
How's the family? Same old. How's Kelly? Mind if I talk to Curran? Greg nods, leaving Mr. Brown and Curran to walk and talk. You okay? Embarrassed. At least this time missing your class wasn't my fault. Heard there's some swell. Yeah, I'm about to check it out. Well, let, me, let me give you a ride. Interior of Mr. Brown's Jeep, Wind and Sea Lot Day. Mr. Brown's beat-up Wrangler pulls up to check the surf. A couple of boards in the back behind him and Curran. Yeah, I know you're, you're going through the ringer. And it doesn't feel like it right now, but there's a lot more than this place out there. I get it. But you? just got... What could you get? You live the dream, man. Teaching kids, surfing every day, great wife. Must be tough. I grew it? up here, too. And it hasn't changed much. Same shit, different day. I don't have to tell you not to repeat any of this, do I, right? Yeah, you're good, Mr. Brown. I didn't think so at the time. None of us ever do, but, you know, looking back, Kern, man, I was a criminal. This place does it to you. I mean, drugs, sex, money, ego. It became an obsession. Having the best of everything, I mean, not working for it. And I know what that's like. I know how hard it is to, to walk away from it. I took a bullet in the shoulder and snapped me out of it. And I've never surfed the same since that either. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It inspired me to change. If it makes you feel better, you still rip pretty hard. And I'm trying to leave, Mr. Brown. It's just it's a little hard when it's a little hard to do when I'm legally trapped here. Mr. Brown hands his quiz back to Curran, covered in doodles. We'll try harder. You're failing. Exterior back of Rigoberto's day. Gennaro steps out of the rear door to the restaurant with his used surfboard in his hand, ready to jog down to Winden when Bruce and Mick show up. They corner Gennaro in the alley. That's one sorry excuse of a board. Yo, Bruce, is there such a thing as a surfboard shop shop? Just leave me alone, all right? Hmm, should we leave him alone? Sure, why not? Long as he leaves us alone. You heard the man. You don't live here. You don't surf here. Bruce shoves Gennaro against the wall, and Mick swipes Gennaro's board out of his hands. He examines it for just a second and crack. He slams the fiberglass straight into the pavement, snapping the nose. No, please. Uh- Gennaro rushes forward, but Bruce shoves him back against the wall, and Gennaro's forced to watch as Mick stomps down on the board, breaking it in half. All right. Now we'll leave you alone. The bros walk off, leaving Gennaro staring at the three paychecks as well as his La Jolla dreams pissed down the drain. Interior Curran's house, Curran's bedroom, day. Curran tries calling Abby. The phone rings and rings. Interior Abby's mansion, La Jolla Day. This place is a modern-day castle. Abby tiptoes across the sprawling atrium in just a towel. She checks her buzzing phone and ignores Curran's call. Abby passes a long table stacked with cards, flowers, and a recent wedding pictures of an older man and Abby's striking mother, plastic surgery hiding her true age. Hmm. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Lewis, on the top card. Abby wanders into the master bedroom, where she rummages around a woman's washroom that has more makeup and accessories than a beauty salon. Finally, Abby finds the good stuff, a cabinet lined with various prescription meds. She glances around, paranoid, hesitates, and finally swipes the container of Percocet. Exterior streets of La Jolla Day. Curran skates with his surfboard, cruising by the high school soccer fields on his way to the beach. The girls' team finishes practice, and Curran slows down as he spots Hana changing out of her cleats. Curran changes trajectory. <clears throat> Hana's teammates, including Angie, stare curiously at Curran as he approaches Hana. A giggle. Hey, neighbor. Hey. We get the sense that these two don't talk that much. You're a whiz at chemistry, right? I mean, in absolute terms, yeah, sure, but relatively speaking, I'm probably better at other things. Physics or soccer or the violin. Oh, violin? Gnarly. Is that new? Uh, I've only been doing it for 10 years. <laughs> right. 
So, hey, I was wondering if you'd help me with Mr. Brown's class. It turns out I'm not as good at chemistry as I am at surfing. My schedule's already super busy. Y you can add tutoring to your resume. Well, that's not all I care about, okay? How about I teach you to surf? <laughs> what makes you think I have any interest in knowing how? Doesn't everyone? Look, I, I really need this. It is kind of embarrassing that I live blocks from the beach and have never tried it. Especially when with you as a neighbor. Look, if I help you study, will you take it seriously, or is this just some pathetic way of getting me into a bikini? Can't it be both? Hmm. We can do Fridays at lunch in Mr. Brown's room. Interior Curran's house, Curran's bedroom night. Curran plays with a business card that reads Ace Chandler, Quicksilver representative. He pulls out his phone and dials. Yo, Ace, it's uh, it's Curran. <clears throat> so what are the next steps for getting on this tour? Shit. Uh, this is hard to explain, man. So Just I'm be gonna... real. What is it? Okay. You rip, but there's a kid like you in every surf down from La Jolla to Santa Cruz. And to be honest, we really just wanted Dane. He was the phenom. But he insisted it was a package deal to sign you. You sure you're right here on this? Current tears up on the other end of the line, covers the mouthpiece as he sniffles and wipes his eye and clears his throat. Uh, yeah, dude, I, I, I totally get that. Um, but it, at least let me prove you Besides, wrong. Besides, my boss wants riders that can brand value and integrity. With everything that's happened and you being investigated, it's it's just too much heat right now. No, I, I got cleared. I'm good, man. That's not what I heard. Ace, man, you gotta help Stay me. Stay out of trouble and call me if you can win high school nationals. The line goes dead. Curran rips the business card in half. Looks like he might finally lose it and then a knock. Curran jumps, startled to see Bruce and Lindsay standing on his lawn, banging on his window. He opens it. Yo, what, what are you guys doing? In the street in Nick's Escalade, Becca in the front seat, Bruce puts on his best Bilbo Baggins impression. <laughs> we are going on an adventure. Come on, we're going to go crash some UC kickback. Show those sinners how to really party. Try it tomorrow and I got this chemistry thing in the morning. I... Bro, you can't always retake a class, but you can never retake a party. A true poet, Bruce. Come on. Beating yourself up enough. Have some fun, Curran. Curran glances over his shoulders back inside. Fuck it. He grabs a jacket and climbs out the window. Interior mix Escalade night. A 17-year-old kid should not own this car. It's fully decked out. Told you guys Curran would sack up. Mick fist bumps Curran from the driver's seat. Becca turns the volume up on the 1,000-watt system, and house music blasts from the speakers as the Escalade screeches off. Bex, you call Henry back? <laughs> Come on. He took me to TGI Fridays. What. The. Fuck. <laughs> I thought he was taking me out on a date, not to some frickin' soup kitchen. So, not calling him back? Not calling him back. Senior fucking year, baby. We were gonna run the school, motherfuckers. You believe that guy this morning? I bet the girls could outsurf him. Becca punches Mick in the arm. Because we fucking rip. He was kind of hot, though. Like, in an exotic way. Snap, Bex wants to go slam busting. Oh, Bruce, that's disgusting. Whatever. That kid wanted the fame without the sweat. Fuck him. Mick starts freestyling <laughs> to the music. Met this cocky motherfucker Gennaro. Thought he was hot shit like a desert toilet. Yo, ain't gonna be no tomorrow, though. Cause my fuckers borders in more pieces than breadsticks from Zabaro. Aw, oh, snap. That was dope. Classic. Kid looked like he was gonna fucking cry. Curran stares out the window, thinking. The Escalade is almost... Is almost to the highway entrance. Current taps Mick. Oh shit, dude, I totally spaced. You gotta let me out right now. Fuck you talking about, bro. My anklet will go off as soon as we hit the highway and I'll have to go spend another night in jail. 
I guess I could get all jacked and tatted in the thug life in there, but then I'd get out and have to whoop all your asses. <laughs> in your dreams. Dude, they really gotta get they really got you by the balls, huh? Well, no offense, Karen, but I don't want the cops showing up right when we're starting to have fun. Yeah, it really sucks. Sorry guys. Mick pulls the car over, Kern fist bumps everyone and jumps out, starts heading back to downtown La Jolla. Interior Rigoberto's night. A few customers chow down in the booths while behind the counter, Gennaro sits on a stool at the register doing his homework. Those punks better hope they never show their faces around Imperial. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't think they've ever been south of the ninety one. Gennaro Lopez Sr. enters the kitchen and tosses on an apron. Papa, can I get my paycheck early this week? I need I need it by tomorrow. Do I look like I'm made of money. I wish. Gaete, Generito. And I'll wash your mouth with soap. I sacrifice having money to have a business in this neighborhood instead because the address means you get to go to the good school. Then how about you take me? You let me take advantage of those opportunities? Your mother said she hasn't seen money from you in the last month. I, 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 I asked him to help with some car repairs. He's got to have a way to get home, right? Senior Lopez eyes his son suspiciously. And I need Friday afternoon off. No, I need you working here. I'm taking Friday afternoon off. Gennaro, frustrated, gets up and heads for the door. He exits just as Curran enters, nearly knocks Curran over. Carlos notices the exchange, stands up, leering at Curran. Judge, you alright? It's cool. Listen, I, I, I heard what happened. So? Here to say I told you so? Not at all. Boards are art, man. Try four weeks of cooking carne asada after school every day for those assholes just to get one. Curran steps away from the door to reveal two used surfboards leaning against the outside of the shop. About that. I had some boards lying around, sort of outgrew them. How much you weigh, like 150? 145. They'll be better for you out there. Are, are you messing with me? I'm serious. Gennaro feels the board head to tail, cherishing the curves. <laughs> oh yeah, that baby got me a few lifetimes of tube time back at, at Black's. Yo, why are you doing this? For real, you, you could sell these for hundreds. I want to win nationals. So did Dane. I really need a good team this year, but you need a board. Exterior streets of La Jolla, day. Another picture-perfect day in the jewel of this town. In this jewel of a town. Curran skates towards Wind and Sea, surfboard in hand. He turns a corner and wham! A car door opens into him and flies, and he flies over it, hitting the asphalt with a thud. On his back, staring at the sky, Curran opens his eyes. A shadow approaches until the sky is blocked out by the looming figure of Zero, staring right down at Curran. What's up, little Grom? <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. Zero smiles, motions towards Curran. Curran retreats, definitely afraid, but his back slams against the front tire. Well, you should be. Especially if I decide to remember a little more about what I saw that night. Fuck you. By the way, your bitch friend dropped something on my lawn on his way out, besides his intestines. Zero opens the car door and pulls out Dane's flip phone. Sure, the cops wouldn't be at all interested in the text history between you two on here. What do you want? Glad you asked. You see, I recently lost my La Jolla High dealer and a whole lot of supply. I'm sure you noticed. But then the craziest thought hit me. You're going to be my new Dane. Now get in. End of Act 2. Act 3, Interior Zero's Pad Day. Zero leads Curran through the front door. The place has been straightened up since the last time we were here. As they walk towards the living room, they pass the bedroom door and through a crack inside a, and through the crack inside the bedroom, Curran notices a naked girl sleeping in Zero's bed. Crystal, 
19, Zero's prize girlfriend, a bikini model, but too many uppers have started hollowing out her cheeks. Interior Zero's living room, day. Zero steps into the open kitchen area and pulls two beers from the fridge, smiles at Curran, extends a beer out to him, but gets a stone-cold stare back. God bless our justice system. I will never work for you. And I'm on probation. I can't. Zero turns off his playfully cruel demeanor, and he's now serious. Let's skip this whole argument, because we both know how it ends. You work for me, or you go to jail. You keep your mouth shut, and I won't kill you. And just because I can, you're going to turn it around twice as fast as Dane did, and I'm going to pay you half of what he made. Zero scribbles onto a napkin, places a still-in-case flip phone onto the counter, and slides them both to Curran. Memorize this number. Only use it for deals, and never call me from any other phone. Next, Zero drops a tackle box down onto the counter, and he opens it up. Different pills in every plastic well, each labeled. You pick up a quarter pounder of green for me every two weeks. You flip it and bring me back two fifty an ounce. Do the math yourself. Price whatever you want, long as you make the turnaround time and I get my money. The rest is yours. You miss your two-week deadline once, I'll make sure your legs aren't capable of surfing for two weeks. You miss it twice, just don't miss it twice, Curran. I, I, I can't. That, that... There's no way I can... Kern flops down onto the couch, overwhelmed, as Zero rummages through the box. He opens up the Vicodin and holds one up. Oh, we're just getting started. See, I'm the only source in this town with the farm connect. Kids don't get hooked on weed. Mm -mm. Kids get hooked on the farms, the opiates, the benzos, the shit that makes the tolerance build fast and the dependence build faster. And baby, I am in the business of building. Zero tosses the phone to Kern, who handles Dane's old flip phone like a memento. Finally pockets it himself, defeated. Listen, kid, you don't like me. I hate you. (laughs) Give it time. At some point soon, you're going to realize that you can't have a 9 to 5 and be in the water all day. But you can make a thousand bucks in ten minutes just answering your phone and be free to paddle out any time. Put a smile on. Curran's about to say something when Crystal pokes her head out from the doorway wearing nothing but sheets. Curran can't help but check her out. Zero, I'm hungry. Oh, who's that cutie? Nobody. Told you it ain't bad. Zero turns back to Curran, slaps him across the cheeks. Hey, it's just business, kid. Exterior streets of La Jolla Day. Curran skates furiously down the La Jolla Boulevard, charged. He tries calling Abby on his cell phone, and it rings out. Damn it, Abby, please answer. He tries again, and it goes straight to voicemail. <laughs> Interior Jules Windensee Mansion, foyer day. The same house the party was at. Becca lounges on one of the luscious sofas in the foyer, in the foyer, watching TV. Pounding from the door echoes through the open space. Becca turns her head towards the door, so far away. Joel, the door. Joel! Joel steps out of her room in his board shorts and makes his way for the door. Turns to his little sister. Seriously? You're the one in charge while Mom and Dad are gone. <laughs> Joel opens the door and standing on the porch is Abby. Exterior, Joel's Windensee Mansion porch day. Joel steps out and closes the door behind him. Abby, you all right? No, I'm not all right. Here, come in, let's talk. I don't need Joel to serve, Coach. Abby pulls out a prescription container of opiates. I'm out. Look, you need some bud, a little nose candy, sure, your family. But come on, Abby, that's serious shit. You gotta throw, just throw it away. God, you're one to talk about moral boundaries. Well, I couldn't even tell you where you were to, where to begin looking. Except, you know, I've cut ties to them. Like, just come inside, let's chill. Forget it. Thanks a lot. Interior, Curran's room, day. Curran storms into his room and tosses his backpack aside. A white envelope lays on his desk. The return address line, Surfer Magazine. 
Kern's eyes light up. He rips it open. Kern first. Your finalist photo entry in our cover contest was not selected. We could not find space in this month's issue for your submission. Fuck you. He grabs the miniature. He grabs the miniature metal trash can off the floor, tosses the envelope into the bin. In a rage, he sweeps his arm across the entire trophy shelf, each shiny plastic figurine plummeting into the trash can. Next to Goar's yearbooks, into the metal abyss. He reaches under his bed, removing his shoebox. He opens it. A couple of notebooks on the surface hide what's underneath. A Ziploc freezer bag filled to the brim with nugs and nugs of weed from Zero. He stares at the sheer volume of it all, lost. At his desk, Curran rolls a joint, licks it, checks out the windows to make sure the driveway is empty, and opens the window. He sparks a match, lighting up the joint, and as he inhales the first puff, drops the match into the trash can. Up in flames go the former mementos. He places the can by the open window, then grabs his DSLR cannon, attaches a fisheye lens, and snaps a photo of the flames. The fire dies down into nothing but melted plastic and ash. Exterior La Jolla High Quad Day. Curran stands alone, leaned up against a stone wall, texting. Are you serious? Curran jumps up, startled, snaps his flip phone shut. Crap, I'm sorry, I totally spaced... Believe it or not, I have a life, too. I don't like spending my lunch in a classroom any more than you do. I I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) Just kidding, it's been a crazy day. Crazy? I'm not going to pretend like I know what you're going through, but treat me with some respect. This is stupid. Good luck, Kern. He curses under his breath as she takes off. Exterior Rigoberto's night. Gennaro glances up as Detective Snyder walks in. Gennaro watches the detective pace around, quiet, looking up to the surveillance camera in the corner. Finally, Snyder approaches Gennaro and holds up his badge. Mind if I ask you a few questions? Sure. Uh, um, uh, I mean, yes, sir. He then holds up a picture of Dane and Curran, then slaps down a receipt. Dane's from the time he was there. You remember these two in here together a couple weeks ago? Janara looks at it, not sure of what to say. I, uh, maybe they, they come in here all the time. All those surfers look the same, you know? Kids these days, I swear. I meant, did you see them on this date? Snyder points to the date labeled on the receipt as Senior Lopez emerges from the back office. Hey, is there a problem? Just trying to get a little cooperation in here. Is this with the health code? Because we already filled out all I the papers. I have pap- a warrant to seize the surveillance tapes from the evening of August the 24th. Gennaro, go help the officer. Interior, the back, op- the back office, Rigoberto's day. Gennaro closes the door behind him, letting out a deep breath. He hyperventilates, the fear finally setting in. He rummages through shelves and accidentally stumbles upon refinancing bills for his dad's restaurant property. So many of them, so many lines of credit, a clear pile of debt. Interior, Rigoberto's day. Gennaro reappears with a surveillance tape. Uncertain. He hesitates. He'll never make the team without Curran there. Generalito, andale! Gennaro snaps out of it. Heads, hands the tape over to Snyder. Thank you. Snyder pulls out his wallet, slaps five dollars down. And five rolled tacos, por favor. Interior Zero's pad night. Zero sits at his coffee table, measuring, with an, measuring out an ounce with his scale. A knock on the door. Zero seems surprised. Zero opens the door, but not the chain lock. I told you not to come to it's me. It's not Curran on the porch, but Abby. Pale. Skinny. I mean, hello there. She can't look Zero in the eyes. She stares at her feet. I heard you had Oxy. That depends. I don't have any money right now. Don't worry, Abs. We can work something out. Come inside. End of Act 3. Act 4. Interior Zero's apartment night. At the coffee table, Zero crushes a pill, uses a credit card to form a thin line, and puts the plate between him and Abby. She moves her head down toward it, ready to snort, but Zero stops her. Do you want this? Please. I'll pay later. No. You will pay me now. Zero stands over Abby. Takes his shirt off 
As tears mist in Abby's eyes, she puts her hands on his hips, but she can't do it. She shoves him away and sprints out. Exterior Hannah's house, La Jolla Day. Curran heads across the street, surfboard in hand, and knocks on Hannah's front door. Hannah's mom, Nancy, 40s, a well-reputed well academic, answers with a warm smile. Curran, isn't it a pleasant surprise? Feels like yesterday I couldn't get you to leave. <laughs> Dinners were always better here. Back when I had time to cook... Hannah peeks her head into the hallway, steps forward. Her mom gets the clue and heads out of the house for the car. Later, Dr. Smith. He waves, turns to Hannah, wondering why he's there. Uh, running tryouts today. I'm, um, I'm sorry about missing our session. What do you want, Kern? I want people to stop looking at me like I'm just another wind and sea rat. I want to be able to surf and explore and film and write. And if I can't graduate, I'll just get stuck here like everyone else. It's quicksand. I never had someone to look up to academically like you did. Just my fucking dad who hates it here and hates that my mom and her baggage is from here and wants to relocate and wants to relocate us to some base out east. If I don't turn her around, all I ever knew was that. I'd like all I ever knew was that I'd not like to be like him. Well, at least you had that choice. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring all that up. I know. It's okay. So, I was thinking why waste our lunches when we live right next to each other? We can study at my place. We aren't studying at your place. I have soccer until 4, violin until 6, then dinner. So 8 p.m. we can study at Starbucks. Ooh, late night. I like it. I'm going to bring a book by your house that I think you'll enjoy. Read the first chapter before our study session, okay? It's a date. It's not a date. It's a study date. It's not a study date either. It it is. Exterior Wind and Sea Beach, La Jolla Day. The dozen upperclassmen from the surf team huddle under a pitched-up canopy labeled La Jolla Surf Team. Curran, Bruce, Charlie, Scotta, Scotty, Becca, and Joel sit at a fold-out table, paper and pen in front of them. The rest of the kids put on different colored jerseys. Mick throws on a red one. Curran gazes around. No sign of Gennaro. All right. <clears throat> we'll be running 20 minute heats to reenact a contest waves judged on a standard 1 to 10 scale score for critical maneuver, style, variety and length of ride we'll add your top few scores together, highest point total gets to starting spot, and the reserve spots will be given to the next highest three contestants Mick elbows Bruce and Charlie highest contestant, huh? well shit, why am I even here? <laughs> Curran, pass- Curran presses a blow horn up, signaling the start of the heat, 500 classmen <laughs> rush into the water Mick hangs back, kicking the shit Finally gives pounds to Bruce, Charlie, and Curran and wades into the water leisurely. Cocky. No rush. His spot is secured as far as he cares. Interior San Diego Police Department equipment room day. Snyder sits in front of the monitor with a VHS tape next to it. He slides the surveillance tape into it. The display goes black. Snyder tries fast-forwarding. Nothing. He waves over a technician. Why is nothing playing? The technician ejects the tape and examines it. You got yourself a blank tape. Who doesn't hook up their surveillance system? We see it a lot. Stores put up a camera to intimidate people. It costs too much to constantly record. Why give me a tape if you didn't plug it in? Why not just say it? Interior Rigoberto's day. Gennaro scrubs away at the grill like a madman, trying to clean it as fast as he can. He looks at the clock. Pinchy, put out the monitor. His brother at his register glances over. Judge, I got this. Get out of here. Just shirt model? Hurry the F up! Gennaro hops over the counter, runs to a closet, pulls out the surfboard current lent him, and heads for the front door. But a voice echoes from the office. Gennarito, the group ready? Todo está bien, papa. Gennaro's father peeks his head out of the office, notices Gennaro's absence, and he heads for the back door. Steps out into the back alley, cutting Gennaro off as he heads towards the beach. 
Generito, I told you I want your help this afternoon. Papa, I, I want to give myself a real shot at something I'm good at. Why is that so hard to understand? Because it's not what I sacrificed my life for for you to have. Do you want me to have a better future? Then, then let me have an hour to do something other than work in your shitty restaurant. Gennaro Sr., stunned, watches his son turn and run away. Exterior Wind and Sea Beach, La Jolla, minutes later. Kern and the other starters judge the heat. All the kids surf well, but nothing special. Mick puts on his best performance, but it's not by much. Exterior streets of La Jolla day. Gennaro jogs at an intersection, is nearly hit by a car, but he dodges it. Board under his arm and continues to sprint. Exterior wind and sea beach, La Jolla day. Kern glances at his watch again, shakes his head. He blows the air horn again, signaling the end of the heat. Exterior wind and sea beach, La Jolla day. Gennaro, sweaty and panting, makes it to the top of the rocks above the... Makes to the top of the rocks above the beach as the rest of the surfers come back in. From the tent on the beach, Scotty inhales a spliff as contestants exit the water. Joel collects the papers from each of the judges and adds it up. Mick, just ahead of the freshies. Mick struts towards the tent. Bruce gives him props. Killed it, bro. Scotty spots Gennaro scuttling down the rocks with the board. Check it out. That brownie Scott has the same sponsors as Kern. Scotty's indicating to the various company stickers on the surfboard, which surfers rep to advertise for sponsors who give them free hookups in exchange. That's because it's Kern's board, you freaking dumbass. Yo, Scotty's gone and smoked himself retarded. <laughs> Gennaro finally arrives to the scene. Mick turns to Kern. The fuck, Kern? You gave Caesar Chavez a board? Gennaro's face reddens as Becca laughs at Mick's joke. You're making me look like a dick, Curran. This is not how it works. I said he could try out. Now you're making me look like a dick. You said 3.30. I, I still got five minutes. We started early. Sorry, bro. Walk away before you embarrass yourself. All goes quiet. Tense. Everyone waiting to see if Gennaro backs down. Gennaro thinks, eyes languidly landing on Becca. Finally, Gennaro talks low so only Curran can hear him. The cops came by Rigo's last night. Curran pulls Gennaro aside, away from the other ears. Are you fucking kidding me? Yo, kid, I was talking to you. Just shut the fuck up for once in your life, Mick. Mick backs off, surprised. Curran pulls Gennaro aside. What'd you say to him? They took the surveillance tape. Shit, man, it wasn't my fault. I gave them a blank tape. What? Why would you? You you can get fucked for that. That that cop's a fucking hard ass. (laughs) I mean, I thought about turning it in, then I'd have had twice as good a chance of making the team, right? Curran stops, thinks, turns to Joel. Mick's not happy. Joel steps aside with Curran and lets him speak. The kid's good. I mean, he's got potential to be Dane good. He could take us to state. <laughs> Nationals. Your call. Just remember the team's got to respect you. All right. <clears throat> Here's what we're going to do. The rest of you are on reserve in the order you finished. Gennaro, you got a 15-minute one-on-one heat versus Mick. Winner gets to start. Loser's first on reserve. Mmm, this just got hot. Are you kidding me? Captain's call, Mick. Just surf better than him, and you got your spot. Bruce, Scotty, Becca, judges... Let's do this. Mick spits at Gennaro's feet, grabs a colored jersey and throws it back on, mutters under his breath. Fucking bullshit. Gennaro quickly follows suit. Mick in red, Gennaro in blue. Curran blows the air horn, and this time, Mick sprints into the surf, finally showing off some competitive spirit. Exterior wind and sea waves La Jolla day. It's just Mick, Gennaro, and the raw energy of Mother Nature sending clean south swell to the reef at 18-second intervals. I don't know what you did to get Curran by the nuts, but the rest of those judges ain't giving you shit. A set looms on the horizon. Both surfers sprint outside towards the approaching waves. Gennaro slightly ahead, but Mick yanks on Gennaro's leash, slingshotting Mick ahead of Gennaro and into perfect position for the incoming wave. Gennaro watches helplessly as Mick takes off, bottom turning into a powerful cutback right in front of Gennaro, blinding Gennaro with a splash of spray. As Mick continues down the wave, Gennaro keeps paddling out as another one approaches. He takes this one for himself, sets up his first turn, whack! Hits the lip of the wave with force and finesse. 
On the beach, Curran looks over his shoulder at Joel, who can't help but nod just a little bit. Back out in the water, Gennaro throws a wicked tail slide at the end section, but it's overambitious and he loses it. A good score nonetheless. As he surfaces, he slaps the board in frustration. He knows he should have had that one. Outside on the lineup, Mick is already taking off on another wave, putting together a couple of decent turns for another decent score. On the beach, Bruce hoots for his friend, fist pumping in the air. Exterior wind and sea waves La Jolla Day. Mick and Gennaro are both back aside. Mick and Gennaro are both back aside each other in the lineup, waiting. Gennaro impatient. The ocean's gone totally flat. At the tent on the beach, at the tent on the beach, Curran looks up at his score sheet. Mick has two fives. Gennaro has one seven. You know, your boy needs a second score. In the lineup, nothing Gennaro can do. Mick teases him. See, even the ocean knows this is my break. My team. Now go home. On the beach, Curran checks his stopwatch. Left Less than a minute left. 50 seconds, because only got one wave. I gotta cut it. Becca sees something out on the horizon. Points. Outside! Sure enough, a pristine gem of a wave approaches. 30 seconds. It's gonna get there. In the lineup, Mick and Gennaro both sprint for the incoming peak. Mick tries to keep Gennaro from going in the direction he wants, trying to get Gennaro in interference. Heat strategy in motion. At the judging booth, Gennaro aims like he's taking the right. Mick, inside of Gennaro, takes off right. And Gennaro's plan works, letting Mick pass, then sneaking past to take off late on the left. Son of a bitch. Mick tries to... Mick tries to bottom turn back towards the left, but Gennaro's already pumping across the face for speed. Gathering speed, flying down the line like lightning, coming up to the lip like it was a skateboard ramp, and elevating into a huge 360 air, hand grab on the rail of the board, keeping it under his feet. Behind him, Mick's jaw drops at the magnitude of the air, as Gennaro lands clean in the flats in front of the whitewash. On the beach, Curran blows his horn. Lindsay and Becca whistle at the maneuver, and Joel can only nod his head. Gennaro arrives at the beach before Nick and jogs up to the tent. Interference! Total interference! Dropping in on Mick, dude? Swipe half that score off this kid's last wave, and Mick wins. Right? Are you serious? He went right. Gennaro clearly won. Really nailed that one good. Gennaro blushes and turns away, as Mick now storms up onto the beach, visibly pissed. He throws his board into the sand, puts one foot in front of the other, straight towards Gennaro, but Curran leaps up to his feet, stands aside Gennaro. Easy, Mick. But as Mick reaches him, it's not Gennaro, but Curran who Mick shoves to the sand. Get up, pussy. Curran jumps back up to his feet. You really want to do this night right now? Yeah, I want to do this right now. Mick pushes Curran again, but Curran pushes Mick back. Better that the guy scraping with the used board blew you up? Mick charges Curran and spears him to the sand on top of him, cocks his fist back, but Bruce pulls Mick back off of Curran as Joel restrains Curran by the arm himself. Mick tries lunging forward, Bruce barely holding Mick back from Curran, glaring at one another. You self-righteous pussy. You were ten times the regulator than I am. Dane dies and now you think you're better than us? He was our friend too. No. What's bullshit is you want us to respect you after I heard you were slanging for zero now. Maybe it was you who ratted on Dane in the first place. Wait, you for real, Curran? You have no idea what you're talking about, Mick, so just shut... Then how did my cousin manage to see you leaving his house yesterday like a shady little bitch, huh? Not chill, bro, not chill. Curran, you're out. Gennaro, you're in. Welcome to the surf team, Kook. You can't do that. I'm the captain of this team. Captain's by popular vote. If even a fraction of what he said is true, I mean, Fucking bitch. Get out of here. Curran looks around. Venom staring back from the eyes of all of his so-called friends. Curran grabs his board and walks away. Mick pushes Gennaro, throws an arm around his neck, until Gennaro realizes it's just a playful headlock. What the fuck? Hey, Joel, maybe they'll throw some more contest fees our way now that we got us, in some, got us a diversity hire. Hot damn, Speedy Gonzalez. Better was next level. 
You gotta teach me how to punt like that, homie. But Gennaro just watches as Curran limps up the rocks, alone. End of Act 4. Act 5. Exterior streets of La Jolla Day. Curran races down the asphalt on his skateboard, weaving in and out of traffic, almost causing a crash. Interior Curran's room, La Jolla Day. Still at ground zero of destruction from the last breakdown. Curran opens his laptop and slides a blank DVD into it. Exterior Dane's house, Day. Another manicured mansion in the hills. Curran, under an archway, takes a deep breath, knocks on the heavy oak door. Footsteps clamor against marble. A lock clicks and the door opens, revealing Sherry Florence, Dane's mom. Her eyes widen. She doesn't know quite how to react, how to feel. I can't keep lying, Sherry. Please, just stop. Not just that night, but every step of the way. I ditched school with him to drink by the rocks. I watched him start selling, hang with sketchier and sketchier guys, and I, I didn't help him even when I knew he was getting too deep. Because he let me be part of the fun, and the girls, and the parties. Everything I thought I wanted. I was his best friend, and I didn't do the one thing a friend should have done. I was a coward. Tears pour down Curran's face as he gets it all out. Dane was the only real friend I've ever had. Please call me in. I'll, I'll confess everything that happened. I can't keep lying. Please, just... Sherry, not really sure of what to do, finally hugs Curran. I just want my son back. Sending you to jail I won't do that. Curran reaches into his backpack and pulls out a DVD case. I made this for you. And Foster. And I guess for me, too. I couldn't let him not be remembered. Interior of Dane's house day. Sherry reclines in a chair facing a 60-inch flat-screen TV. The DVD whirls as it starts. On the screen, quick and brilliantly edited clips of Dane surfing, goofing off, skating in the wind and sea lot, and more grade-A surfing. The footage cuts to a close-up of Dane being interviewed. Blue water meeting million-dollar homes on the bluffs behind him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it means the jewel. What else is there to say? It's paradise, you know? There's no better place to be a kid. World-class waves, world-class chillers, world-class Mexican food. I'm stoked about traveling the world for waves, the contest circuit, but man, it's going to be hard to leave. He glances over his shoulders at the waves and the houses. Sometimes I have to pinch myself to remember to appreciate how good I have it here. And how blessed I am. Back in the room, Sherry squeezes her eyes shut with sadness and love and regret, and regret, bittersweet and ephemeral hope, as if Dane was standing right there in front of her. Exterior La Jolla High hallway. Miguel and Gennaro head down the hall, but Gennaro spots Curran heading in the other direction. Gennaro turns to Miguel. Yo, I gotta bounce. Man, you always gotta bounce. Gennaro takes off for Curran, catches up, and Curran looks over. Yo, I'm sorry about earlier. Oh, look who it is. Cassius, or Brutus, or one of those Shakespeare guys. I don't know. I don't only read the spark notes. <laughs> it true? What? Are you slanging? Are you out of your mind? <clears throat> I've been following the rules my whole life. It's like when you're Mexican, you gotta act extra proper just for people not to assume that you're some gang gangbanger from the border. I'm sick of it, man. Listen, I, I got connections that none of you local boys got. The guys I ride the bus with, they, they got a little bit of money and, and they're tired of that Mexican hash. Let me help you out. I'm on probation. If I get caught with drugs, I go to jail. If I fail a class, I go to jail. Are you trying to ruin my fucking life? Gennaro's eyes are lost across the hallway on Becca in a circle with her friends. She catches Gennaro's look, waves, but he snaps... His, he snaps his away in the other direction, still shy. You think you want into that world? It's not what you dream it'll be. I gotta work every damn day just to share a bedroom with my brother and two little sisters. My mom can't even see my abuelita because she's, she won't be let back into this country if she crosses the border. And then I have to come, come to, up to this place while my dad goes broke. You know your taste of the good life. You had your taste of the good life. Now let me help you. But just then, Mr. Brown, cruising down the hall, interrupts them. Gennaro disappears in a flash. 
Kern, how's the team look? You quit. What? They don't want me. Quicksilver server mag, they don't want me either. <laughs> I'm just not good enough. Kern walks away, turns a corner, but Mr. Brown chases him down the hallway and grabs him by the arm. Listen to me, Kern. It hurts real bad now. But at some point, in all but a few surfers' lives, they come to terms with the fact that there's no living to be made in competitive surfing. And that's okay. That's not why we surf. Not even the pros. Your, your photography is as good as the surfing, and that's saying a hell of a lot. Find interesting stories. Stories with heart. Surfers with heart. And the doors will open. I promise. This world is over for these trust fund surfer kids. As Mr. Brown <coughs> preaches, Curran gazes over at the school. Gazes over the squad at Gennaro. Exterior driveway night. Curran works under the hood of his dad's truck. Hears footsteps approaching and sees his dad walking up the drive. Curran? What are you doing? I uh, took the truck in for you. Uh, Son of a bitch needs a new rear cylinder coil. I took care of it. How'd you afford that? Uh, Surfer Mag bought one of my submissions. Not much, but I thought I'd do what I could to help out. Greg hesitates, then hugs Curran, who glances away, uneasy. I know I'm hard on you. Just because... Thank you, Curran. Interior Curran's room, night. Curran scrolls through eBay, checking out the lens listings. Exterior Curran Street, La Jolla, night. Hana steps out onto her front porch and a few houses down from Curran's home. She checks her watch. 8.15 p.m. Interior Curran's room, night. Curran jolts as knuckles clank outside his window. He glances up from his computer, sees a silhouette outside the pane. He reaches for it. The glare from his computer blinding him. Hannah, I, I was about to head over. Abby, where the fuck have you been? Tears stream down her face. She shakes her head in shame. Hey, hey, hey here, come in. Abby climbs in and holds on to Curran, barely able to stand. Exterior Curran Street, La Jolla night. Hannah, a house away, stops. Hides under a shadow along the row of trash cans as she watches Abby climb into Curran's window. Hannah sighs, holds out the textbooks that she's clutched under her arm. Chemical oceanography. She laughs at herself for imagining some fantasy in which she could save him. Interior Curran's room night. Curran shuts his window as Abby gently leans into his chest. I sat in the bathtub today for hours with a bottle of pills, just wondering how to kill myself. Shit, what did you take? Nothing. I mean, a lot. But not today. I hate him so much, Curran. Who? Who do you think? What if I told you I was going to take him down for good? I'd say let me help. Good. Because I need it. I'm scared to be left alone. He glances around. She climbs into his bed. Curran hesitates, but eventually does too. Alone, together in the dark. She flips over towards him, nestles herself up against his warm body. The two holding each other together at the seams, and we fade to black. End of episode. So many places for this pilot to go. It's just, I think maybe more than any other pilot we've read, there are so many opportunities for stories. It's a very loaded, there's a lot of characters in this thing, but I think you do a beautiful job kind of balancing them. I think I want to ask about that first. How do you, we have a lot of writers listen to this show. How did you manage all of these characters? I even forgot to cast a couple. Um, a lot of prep work yeah. and outlining mm-hmm. and really just like tracing each one of them. The the most important to me being Curran and Gennaro and Abby, but then all the side characters as well and making sure each of them were popping up consistently mm-hmm. and not getting lost into the void too much. And I guess just like, uh, you know, 
where there was, I think I used note cards and I had a, I wrote out a pretty significant outline before too, just kind of tracking everybody and yeah. uh, making sure there's enough integration between the different storylines as well so that it all felt like it was fitting together. Yeah, I'll be excited to talk about that more because you really do manage it beautifully in this Thank pilot. Um, I think I want to ask about you, though, because, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think someone... Because you grew up in La Jolla, right? So, I actually grew up... There's a uh, a slight reference to it, University City, where they're heading to go to that party to show the stoners how to party. <laughs> yeah. And it's essentially the... It's like the middle-class neighborhood right outside of okay. La Jolla. And so, I grew up as a surfer from UC, and we were kind of always, like one foot in one foot out of this world mm-hmm. like observers looking in because we were always there and always surfing but we you know we were rivals with them essentially right. like in all sports and we'd surf against them and play soccer against them and uh go to their parties and get in fights and then come to our parties and get in <laughs> fights and, nice. you know. and so it was this whole like uh yeah uh sort of brilliant observational piece of my Adolescence. <laughs> yeah. So UC probably doesn't have quite the range of wealth, it sounds like, that little Yeah, exactly. Has. And I think that's what's so interesting to me about, uh, especially, like, teen drama, is that, you know, you have teenagers are, like, just steroid brains that are all id and ego, and mm-hmm. they will do as much as they can get away with. And if they have a lot of money to do so, they'll do even more. And mm-hmm. so, yeah... Um, I wanted it to be set in that sort of like hyper exaggerated sense. Yeah, I think that's something that I kind of picked up on in this read is like when you're writing teens, you kind of do have the opportunity to really raise stakes because like in a weird way, even though it feels like teens are protected in kind of the insular world of like what high school is, they're also kind of kind of exposed. And obviously, I mean, like their bodies are going through the most emotionally charged period of their life. Um, Is that something it sounds like you're interested in exploring that? Yeah, I'm fascinated by I mean, the fact that on an emotional scale, even the littlest things are life and death yeah. to the teenage brain and like psychologically speaking. And, um, in my opinion, like I was, I grew up loving like teen soap shows, yeah. but so many of them I felt didn't go far enough to what the experience was actually like, where you're like, Oh, they're just going so soft to keep it safe. And yeah. Like, this isn't what it's actually like. How did you do that? Because, like, a lot of teen soap shows suck. Like, honestly, <laughs> like, I hate to say it that way, yeah, but, like, this hard. pilot's so good. Thank you. What, what did, how did you do that? I guess I, I wrote what I wish <laughs> yeah. that I had been watching. And there are good ones. Like, I, yeah, I think The O.C. Some, is a great show. I love The O.C. I love Josh Schwartz teen drums in particular. So, like, what else is The O.C. and Gossip Girl. Oh, yeah, Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl, obviously, is so indulgent and right. over the top. But in a weird way, it's, like, the same thing where they don't hold back. Yeah, so what do you think are, like, the distinctions between... Because to me, no other genre toes the line between, like, socially observant, interesting material, and, like, really exploitive, soapy drama. So, like, what do you think are the touches that make teen dramas good? I mean, I think you have to have enough of the, like, genre staples for Mm -hmm. it to be very dramatic. So you have some of those soapy elements of, you know, the high-stakes relationships and just, like, threats constantly socially, like, it's just such a crazy social hierarchy and always like so prevalent at the front of everyone's brain. But then at the same time needing to sort of subvert all the tropes in a way so that things are going a little bit against expectation and maybe getting grounded in things that actually are real. So for me, especially with this and like San Diego and the border scene in particular is like, you know, race relations and the opioid epidemic and just the general sort of angst of, 
following in your parents' footsteps or making your own path or knowing things are bad for you but being so tempted by them at the same time mm-hmm. and wanting to escape but also wanting to be popular and all mm-hmm. these sort of juxtapositions that happen. Yeah, and, like, even the... I'm so interested by, like, people kind of wanting to leave but also wanting to stay. Yeah. Like, it feels like they're being pulled in by what La Jolla is but they also can't get out yeah. but they don't want to. I, yeah, I wanted to write about, like, two characters who were on the event horizon of this black hole that is wind and sea. <laughs> yeah. And one coming sort of out of it and trying to get out but everything is sucking him back in even his own temptation of finally actually having some money that's current and then Gennaro being the outsider always looking in and it looking so exotic and you know this playground and wanting to be a part of it even though these people are terrible to him it's like when you're in high school even like you know popular kids are mean to you you still want to be popular it makes no sense but it's just like yeah, it's the so paradox of high school. So you talk about stakes a lot mm-hmm. in your writing, and, and one thing I noticed reading this is that the stakes, like you said, are very, very high yeah. in almost every situation. And I find that that's really hard to, I guess, digest as a reader or a watcher. Mm-hmm. But in this script, it seems so palatable. Do you think that's because yeah. it's high school? Is that mm-hmm. why the stakes are eight? Like, because, like I said, literally everything is high yeah. stakes in here, but it's not over the top. I think it's a combination of it being high school, but it very purposely in the sort of origination of writing it Mm -hmm. wanting everything to be very high stakes so just almost thematically to get that sensation out of when you are in high school even if you're not like on probation or you're not being investigated or you're not doing these things everything that happens feels like life or death so it's like how do you get that feeling to someone who no longer has that going in their brains Mm -hmm. and it's like well you have to kind of literally then heighten it up yeah it's kind of brilliant because i think if these were adult characters dealing with the it same would seem absurd it would not work yeah. but like i think because they're in high school it's like there's this kind of sense of empathy or so, yeah. everyone old has been young once yeah. and yeah. knows how insane you are at the time right. and is weirdly nostalgic about it too of like wishing you could still feel that much over such little things again yeah this is kind of what i want riverdale to be i don't know have you been watching oh, yeah. riverdale? i've been watching it i yeah, some people are loving it i'm kind of having mixed opinions about it i think it goes up and down yeah like but like some things really well but i feel like this is what i want it to be like kind of the same fearlessness but like i buy it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that makes any sense yeah, at all but they go very they know they're very sort of pulpy yeah so. for sure Another thing that was so cool about you kind of balancing out those stakes, my favorite thing about the script, which I talked to Jeff about when I walked in, was that during these situations where everything is so intense, you have these moments of these lead characters, Gennaro especially, where he just kind of gets lost looking at the crowd or catching eyes. Mm -hmm. That is my favorite thing about this pilot, because in real life, no matter how serious shit is, you'll still catch yourself like doing things that catch your eyes, or you'll be Mm -hmm. thinking about what happened earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. That little filtering of that in throughout the script, I think, also really helps balance. That is literally my favorite thing, Thank is you. him catching eyes and moments that people are having outside of these serious moments. Yeah. I was actually going to say that, because it's it's with a teen kind of show, you would think, because teens talk a lot, that it would be really dialogue-heavy, but you do a lot with the... Um, with the um, the action, visuals. the visuals, which I really think a heighten the stakes and mm-hmm. keep them heightened, um, but also give that character development of certain characters because you're giving you're showing the audience their inner thoughts, yeah. which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Is that kind of how you write? Do you feel? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, sometimes I know it like when people actually. I know there's a there's a weird line to walk where there's the camp 
of writers who are like never let a character say exactly what they're thinking and then there's <laughs> others who just write so on the nose mm-hmm. i think i'm somewhere in between where you know sometimes i think people do say exactly especially what teenagers, right? yeah. teenagers yeah. but then other times it's like i i want to be able to to give those cues to sort of show what's going on inside someone's head without them having to say it and that's usually what i'm trying to do with those because i think that's a lot of times when you are being beating around the bush a little bit with something it's like your eyes are what's showing you what you really think right. like maybe you know you're catching a liar it's like what are they looking at while they're telling you their fib and so yeah Cool. I think the eyes are the uh, inner pathway to the mind. For Absolutely. sure. Yeah, I mean, I've got more. I don't know if you guys, I feel like I don't want to hog the conversation, but <laughs> if you guys have any specific questions. I'm really interested, as as a white guy from San Diego, yeah, yeah, were you, yeah. you, I want to first preface this by saying you handle the racial stuff really well. Thank you. And Tim, I'm sure you can speak to that too, because as like a um, Latin American mm-hmm. actor, I'm sure you read a lot of parts that aren't nuanced. Yeah. Um, how did you... Were you nervous to approach those? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think as a writer, especially now, it's such a volatile time where um, it, it is a fine line of, like, how do you tell stories in some, in voices that aren't your own or experiences that aren't your own while, while doing justice to and being humble about what the closest thing you can bring to truth to that is mm-hmm. um you know i don't think writers should only write exactly who they are or else you wouldn't have any story ever told <laughs> yeah um, but you do have to really really have like a heightened sense of awareness at that and you know the nervousness to do so is good because that means you are going to be that much more aware and sensitive and like be able to hopefully have people that can tell you like oh you know that's that's not right or that's okay or um and then hopefully just my experience growing up especially the high school I went to had it's about like 500 white kids like 500 Mexican kids Mm -hmm. and then about 500 uh like diverse everything else and so you know I grew up side by side with that sort of Latin border culture so I hoped like I was able to kind of get it so yeah, it was definitely tough to approach, but I hope I didn't. I thought that you juggled that. it like brilliantly because I grew up in Salem, Oregon, yeah, where I was like the only Asian kid there, but mm-hmm. you couldn't tell what I was. There was like two black kids and then like a handful of Mexican kids. Like yeah. that was it. Other than that, it was all white people. And also growing up in Oregon, like even people that are wealthy, it's not the type of wealthy that you get in California. Yeah. So there's not really the same level of classism. Yeah, exactly. There's divides. But talking to my friends that grew up in Rancho Bernardo and hearing about their growing up, this felt so, like, organic. And also reading it, I was like, I can totally see all this mm-hmm. happening and, yeah. and, like, imagine experiencing it yeah. as a teenager. I couldn't even fathom mm-hmm. this level of classism and racism and all that. Yeah, it's all there. And it's funny, reading the script, even as Gennaro, I was, it, it took me back to, like, high school when you just want to fit in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because one of the biggest things that I found with him was, was struggling with the accent and when to turn it on and when mm-hmm. to turn it off in, in front of certain characters because, mm-hmm. you know, he is in this whitewashed community and, yeah. and you he wants to fit in and he doesn't want to be... Mexican, but that's what he is. Yeah. So it's. It, I just found that the dialogue that you that you wrote for that specific character, I thought was spot on. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because some of the douchebag surfer bros on the team <laughs> are pretty rough. Like they're. I thought you read really well as Mumbai. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. Guys, I don't, that freestyling. 
I am from Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> there is no diversity where I'm from whatsoever. And I'm like, I read that and I go, oh my God, I'm either going to make the biggest fool of myself right now, which I feel like I still kind of did. Crushed I don't know. Thank you. Yeah, Lindsay, by the way, this is your first time on the show. Great job. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Job. Everyone Great job, everybody. Well. Yeah. yeah, I haven't said that yet. Um, but um, how do you, were you oh, afraid of making them too not likable? Yeah, yeah. I think there were drafts too where, where, <laughs> I, I push them too far into mm-hmm. like villain territory because I, I, you know, I kind of imagine in the rest of the thing is that they like make does kind of have this weird turnaround where it's like, oh, actually, I'm going to like take this guy under my arm kind of a thing. Yeah. Once I realize like he's actually good um, at something I respect in his mind. But I also wanted to be true to it because like God, people are fucking mean when yeah. they're mm-hmm. 17. Like yeah. you've. Like, just go to the YouTube comments section, oh. and you're like, oh, my God, people are terrible. Like, like I, th- I think you could go so much further and still yeah, have some yeah, sense yeah. of verisimilitude. Like, and especially, you know, growing up in that, in the wind and sea surf scene especially is very notorious for its localism and this sort of, like, you kind of, if you're going to rep it, have to act tougher than you are. Hmm. And so, in my mind, Mick is kind of just, like, always in putting on a front mode even though you know there's a part of him that's totally different and it kind of lets it slide or you kind of get a little bit of the cracks when he actually calls out Curran it's like you know you were just like me and all of a sudden you're being all self-righteous it's yeah like you know this is the kind of the front we got to put on to hold down the fort so that you know people don't just come and swarm our, our break yeah, I'm just a little curious as to why you didn't kind of um, continue that that heated feuded dialogue between Mick and and Gennaro because yeah. I feel like Gennaro has a little bit of fire in him, which we saw in the beginning. Yeah. And then you know Mick really eggs him on, and I, Lindsay, I thought you did really, yeah. really good for that part. Um, and it just he kind of just shies away from it in those moments. Yeah, I I struggled with that a little bit, and that I kind of wanted to like build up the tension so that when eventually if anymore ever gets written he actually can have like a full mm-hmm. proper blowout and it feels mm-hmm. justified yeah whereas here he's very i think self-aware that he needs to not stoop to their level yeah. level if he wants to even have a chance at sort of breaking in with them yeah so it's this weird sort of like masochistic tone down on his part mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well it's complicated because like yeah. he has to and I love the moment when like Mick kind of does take him into a hug, but then yeah. it's a headlock, and there's I some... hated that. <laughs> but, but like, I, like it. <laughs> I, I did die like like yeah, rating wise, yeah, it was get... great. But yeah, no, I know what you yeah, mean. That's to like, but there's <laughs> but there is something where you're like, oh, maybe this is like a step forward. Like yeah. it's better than where they were a scene ago. Yeah. So yeah, it's like so interesting to kind of see the trajectory of like this new element introduced to this surf team. Yeah. Um, One thing I thought was super interesting was, like, how by the numbers, like, teen drama, the relationship between Hannah and Curran was. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm so intrigued. And it was so, like like I said, by the numbers, like, the the whole, like, blowing her off and she's smart and he's a surfer and her looking out the window and seeing a girl come in. But, like, using that formula and, and... I don't know. There was just something about how you use it in here that wasn't cheesy. You know what I mean? Because you've seen that story a million times. Yeah. I, um... I feel like maybe it, it feels less cheesy than it could be because she is there kind of as a sense of normalcy and voice of reason within this otherwise just like absurdly 
right. life and death world that we get where it's like oh finally someone who's normal who like maybe would be my friend in high school okay uh, yeah and then the book that she got him, that was like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. It's just perfect. Yeah. I, I was like, what would be the thing that could actually get him into chemistry? It's right. Like something yeah. deal with the ocean. It's like... I think there's just likability in every single character, yeah. even the bro douchey guys. And there's yeah. redeeming qualities in all of them that you kind of come back and question that later on in further future episodes, you can write and make them build on that more. Yeah. But every character really is likable coming from a high school where I was a super unpopular one I'd still want to know Mick <laughs> yeah. I'd still want to like know what's going on yeah. with everybody they were well drawn too yeah. I think is part of it like they were round enough that like even the moments that might seem too edgy or whatever yeah. like the characters are round so you you can buy in yeah I think. I think one of my other favorite characters uh, was Zero and I love yeah. how Lex Redham oh, made him yeah. like really, like, really snake like it was yeah. really cool yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that was like one of the only characters that I was like I hate him I don't think there's any <laughs> no, redeeming qualities I, I love that there were at least in <laughs> yeah. what we saw almost no redeeming qualities whatatsoever yeah, and to yeah. me I was like I get to read this part that's so <laughs> yeah. great yeah. yeah he is my, irredeemable this one he's yeah. kind of the the logical conclusion of what happens when you go down that road. He's Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. My question on that character, though, why, why did you make? Why did you decide to make him twenty-one and not maybe like eighteen or anything like that? I wanted him to be the guy that was still there, taking advantage of the young kids who wanted yeah. to play gangster and profiteering off of it. Um, it was kind of based one off like a lot of the people that you see in that world who just can't get away, and and like you said, he is the voice of temptation that, mm-hmm. you know, you can have the life of a surfer without having to work if you kind of go this road. And uh, this, the teaser was pseudo based on a true story that happened down in San Diego near where I lived in Pacific Beach of a uh, a guy going to rob his his drug dealer and getting stabbed to death. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. And um, I thought that was like, just walk the line between being dark enough to like throw you into what this world was going to be like but without being so far off the path of realism yeah that scene definitely brings you into the show that's for sure yeah it's a great it's i mean i was interested quickly because of that scene um i love the way you handle the memorialization of dane's life too i was so this set piece of like the people on in the suits going out into the ocean and memorializing him there was like weirdly profound like (laughs) how did you did anything inspire you specifically there or a little bit I mean I think the tradition of surf memorials in the first place like I wanted to have that is that a thing and and that's a thing if if like a famous surfer when they pass away or like someone really big within the community they'll have a big paddle out you have hundreds of people in like a big circle on the longboards and they'll drop the ashes maybe or something but I wanted to do the like yeah, I think with teen dramas, especially, you have the opportunity to really push the like <laughs> John Woo cool factor. Yeah, yeah. Like, just like everybody's so cool. Yeah, and I was like, what's like, you know, I I had him in a suit, and I was like, and I know that I want this surfing world to happen. How can I take somehow it to there organically and have this really sort of like bizarre but also powerful sight like someone out in a funeral suit out in the ocean mm-hmm. so yeah it's a really neat set piece Pro- maybe my favorite visual moment of the pilot so Thanks. yeah props thank you yeah I teared up when I read that part I know <laughs> what's wrong with me but yeah. I'm in my apartment by myself you need to get a grip <laughs> yeah um, don't do that uh, so I always ask this question after yeah. have you ever had this read before 
Um, not out loud in a table read setting, actually. Okay. I so actually, the and it worked really well. The the or the origins of this script were I got my MFA in writing at LMU. Okay. And there was a a very first original draft of this developed in that. And in that workshop, there was a lot of, like, table reading of scenes and stuff. So I got to hear it in pieces mm-hmm. okay. right a little bit just to kind of hear what was working out. But never never all the way through, never in its current uh, draft. So it was really, really amazing. Was there anything that you liked, didn't like, worked, didn't work, you want to change? Um, the only things, the only, like, notes I really had was just, like, trimming bits of dialogue down or, like, little bits of clarifying within uh, who's talking to who kind of a thing. Gotcha. Which could have been nice. I mean, I casting such a big ensemble can be tough. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Which um, is a credit to the piece. I told you all the characters are well drawn, but there's a couple yeah. moments I was like, yeah, maybe I should have cast them <laughs> on that instead. But it's um, a lot of characters, and yeah. they are well balanced. Thank you. Yeah, there were a lot. <laughs> um, do you have any questions for us specifically about what we read, how we read? Oh, man. Um... Uh, we were that good, huh? Uh, <laughs> you guys were really good. What, what, good were, what were your guys' stumbling blocks you felt when you were reading as far as like the dialogue was concerned? Did you get caught up on anything in particular? I have a, a problem as an actor that I tend I speak fast. Yeah. My natural cadence is very fast. And I did not felt I get caught up at all reading it. So that's a testament to okay, cool. it's so helpful. Thanks. Like I... I uh, Aaron Sorkin to me is what well, works for me because I speak at that level. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I'm stumbling, I mumble, and I've got to go through it and different things with highlighting. But this I did not find any problem with. Cool. So that's a testament to that you've got it. It's very Thank clearly you. out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed reading the action. I mean, that's all I'm doing. No, I have the same thing as uh, my uh, as Mike. I, I read very very fast, and yeah. um, I think it worked in this scenario because Spanish people just talk fast, especially <laughs> when speaking in Spanish. Um, I would have loved to have seen more of like the Spanish words thrown in there because yeah. I think those really attribute to who Gennaro is as a as a, mm. as a person. Yeah. Um, so I love that you threw a little bit of those in there. I'd love to see more. Of yeah. That. Great. Yeah, I mean, I I love the pilot in its current form, so I think yeah, it's really yeah. I'm pretty happy. I, hope. I did have one thought oh, when yes. it was a scene between Gennaro and his father and his brother. I was like, this would be really nice if we're, if it, thank you, if it were just done in Spanish. In Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, I, I, I feel thing. like mm-hmm. I, I, my friends who do, who come from, uh, their parents come from another country, that when they go home, mm. they always switch back mm-hmm. to, uh, mm-hmm. like my best friend's Polish. When she goes to visit her grandma, they all speak Polish together. And yeah. Then, so and I, I just always enjoy it because I don't know what's going on, but yeah, know, they seem to be enjoying it. It's funny that yeah. you said that because I literally yeah. thought the same thing. That's why with those scenes, I was like, let me up the accent a little bit because if yeah. it's not going to be in Spanish, it might as well be in like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Code that's, switching. yeah. That's a great note. Yeah. Well, that's an easy production choice. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. throw subtitles on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Easy fix. Italicize. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, cool. Well, we can't thank you enough for oh, coming. Thank you guys Absolutely. for thank your you. time and the reads, yeah. and it was great hearing it out loud. Oh, good. wait. I have one more question. Please. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where do you get a good California burrito in L.A.? Yes. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> that, it's, that is the just question that haunts me in this <laughs> is, Gus's lunchbox in Echo Park is, like, okay, but it's not even you, close. It's been slowly creeping up. Like, words got out, and people outside of San Diego realize that this thing, the word's been spread enough right. by San Diego to have, you know, immigrated out of San Diego. Because it used to be, when I first came to L.A. like 10 years ago, there was this cutoff mark right at the San Diego County border of Orange County where, like, 
once you went north of there, there was no California Done. burritos <laughs> as far as the eye could see. And now I feel like a lot of Mexican shops are starting to offer them, but good ones. Mm-hmm. I think Benito's on the west side okay. does a pretty good one. You got to ask for the guacamole, unfortunately, but once that's in there, it's really, really satisfying. It like it will hold down my San Diego cravings. Okay, for, for a while. <laughs> that's all I need. Benito's. Benito's. Ask for the guac. A, a place on Hollywood Boulevard. Well, I don't know. I had I had to get a burrito there for someone else one time, and I was like, "Oh, a California burrito? Yeah, oh, yeah. So that could be something. Okay. Yeah. All of our yeah. listeners not from California, are like, shut up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, yeah. For the, for the real thing, you gotta go down to San Diego. Yes, fair though. enough. Yeah. I've not and been to San Diego yet. So I love San Diego. Go, man. Um, well, before we go, I do want to say that these scripts, guys, were printed by ARA Printing um, in Burbank on Magnolia Boulevard. Do you ever go there, Dan? No. You should. Yes. I will. And here's why: they print them for us for free because we're partnered with them. Yeah. But um, like, they are by far the most reasonably priced um, script printing okay. place in town. They're quick. They're fast. They're local. Yes. <laughs> in the in the best sense. And, um, yeah, like, these pilots, even, like, Spiral Bound, yeah. cost, like, three bucks each Looks to print, good. which is so much cheaper than Kinko's and, Con- yeah. and uh, any of those other yeah. places. Yes. So Yeah, and we have a promo code, too. We do have a promo code, yeah. So if you go and use the word table read, you actually get 10% off of your read. So, again, that's ARA Printing on Magnolia Boulevard. They're the best in town, in Burbank. Um, if you liked today's show, a couple episodes I'd recommend to you. Um, episode number five, we read a pilot called Company Town mm-hmm. that um, deals with some of the same kind of complex racial politics mm-hmm. and generational politics that this um, pilot plays with. It's very different in tone, but it's got some of the same themes. Yeah. And in a couple of weeks, we're reading a pilot called America that's about some Russian immigrants who oh, yeah. kind of uh, have to... <laughs> it's coming. My Russian. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. So work on your Russian, guys. Yeah. But... Um, that deals with some of the same outsider kind of xenophobic themes that are dealt with in here. Next week, though, I also want you to tune in. We're reading a feature right. called The End of the Stars that's kind of a um, inspirational family PG feature, which Fun. we haven't really read yet. So oh, it's cool. really, really lovely. Um, but in the meantime, guys, that's the show. Um, today we read Locals Only by Daniel Hogan. Uh, before we go, we'll definitely let you plug your info so people can find you when they want to buy the script. Um, but guys, my name is Jeffrey C. Graham. I don't know why I use my full name, but if you want to call me that, you can. <laughs> it's, one of those it's very guys. official. It's yeah. uh, but that's also my Twitter, so you guys can find me at Jeffrey C. Graham on Twitter, and uh, I can't wait to be here next week. Uh, this is Lindsay Wegner. You guys can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Lindsay Wegner. I'm at AfterBuzz for Supernatural. Real Housewives of New York is coming up. All all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, guys, I'm Mike Kalinowski. You can find me at Mike Kalinowski. Uh, here on Popcorn Talk, I'm the host of DC Movie News and Character Corner. And AfterBuzz, I'm doing Taking MacGyver into the Badlands and Iron Fist. Busy. Hey guys, I'm Timothy Michael. You can reach me on all social media platforms at I am Timothy Mike. Monday nights, I'm over at AfterBuzz doing Quantico and Thursday nights doing Grace. Hey guys, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. I'll see you next week. I am Lex Michael. I'm all over social media at the Lex Michael at AfterBuzz. I'm on Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow, and Fargo starting again soon. I'm super excited. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Adrian Olivia Snow. I'll do it in solidarity. <laughs> you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. You can also see me on the Magicians podcast for AfterBuzz and occasionally on Legion. And then you can also see me in an Affleck commercial. Hey, hey. <laughs> that check. Yeah, nice. Cool. Yes. And I'm Danny Hogan, the writer. I'm not very much on social media. I deleted my Twitter because I was going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good man. Um, I am on the blacklist with this script mm-hmm. if you want to read it or find my contact info. And I'm also on Instagram, repping the old school Derek comedy, Donald Glover, hashtag of Dan Bro Chill. Yes. Nice. Awesome. I love it. I hope you watched Atlanta because I was actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's so great. good. 
Um, well, guys, that's the show for today. We thank you so much for being here again. This is the Unproduced Table Read. Um, we're actually here at 9 next week because we're reading a feature, so it'll be a little longer. But it's um, nothing we've read like it yet. So um, we'd love for you to tune in and check it out. And uh, until then, guys, have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.